0: You're listening to the Sojourn Montrose podcast. For more sermons and content, visit SojournMontrose.org. Peace be with you. Welcome to Sojourn. Uh, For those of you that don't know me, my name is Marshall. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, And it is my joy and honor to proclaim to you the truth of God's word from uh, John chapter 10 this morning. Um, if you uh, are, are newer to Sojourn, just know that we've kind of been camping in John for the past um, couple of weeks and we have uh, a few more to go. Um, and really, just, just so you're aware of the reason why we're, we're working through John um, right now, um, quite simply, the, the answer is found in the book of John itself, in this account um, written by the Apostle John of Jesus' life in chapter 20, when he says that uh, these words were written so that you might know that Jesus is the Son of God, and that you might have life in His name. And so whether you're a Christian in the room this morning, or whether you're not a Christian in the room this morning, uh, just know that that's our hope for all of us this morning, that in the account um, that that John shares with us, specifically from chapter 10 this morning, that we would see and believe that Jesus is the Son of God, and that we might experience life together um, in His name. So thank you for being here Um, would highly encourage you to engage in any one of those methods of connecting that uh, Chelsea put before you. We really do believe that the church is a people to belong to rather than an event to attend on a Sunday. And so um, this morning, essentially just for some context, um, in chapter 10, uh, Jesus is responding really to a a fairly normal question uh, that he receives all throughout the Gospels, which which is, who are you? Right, And so just recently he has healed uh, a blind man in chapter 9, uh, which we skipped over. So, um, but he's recently healed a blind man, and, th- and that's essentially led to a whole lot of questions um, from both the religious of Jesus' day and the irreligious of Jesus' day, and, and all of them boil down to, who are you? And this is Jesus's response to them. And so my my prayer, what I'm going to ask the Lord to do um, right now for us, um, is that we would ask that same question um, and that we would see and believe and then experience life in his name. So let's pray um, and then we'll jump into John chapter 10. Father, we thank you for this morning. Uh, We thank you for the opportunity to gather together. Uh, And Lord, I, I pray that we would not lose sight um, of, of the glory that this assembly is um, not because of who we are but because of who we belong to um, and so lord I, I pray this morning that um, that lord you will lead us that you will guide us lord that you will shepherd us into pasture this morning um, and lord that we would see that our our needs are met in um, filled up in um, and in the person and work of your son, Jesus. And so, Lord, we know uh, that we need you this morning. Uh, we need your spirit to open eyes, to see ears, to hear the good news. Um, and so would you do that uh, in the way that only you can? We love you. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Okay, so let's jump right into John chapter 10. We've got kind of a, a lot to do. And and again, just like I said uh, earlier, right, this is Jesus responding to that question Who are you? And he starts in verse 1 by saying, Truly, truly, I say to you. But here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to do something a little bit unorthodox, and we're going to jump right into the middle of chapter 10. So skip down to verse 9 and, and and listen to what Jesus has to say. Truly, truly, I say to you, verse 9, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Now, some of you might be wondering, why, why would you start with verse 9, right? Like, typically, we tend to just kind of walk verse by verse. Um, and, and I promise you, though, that this will make sense. In that there is one word that Jesus uses um, in, in this verse that we do not see in any other portion of the New Testament. right? So this word is used one time in the New Testament. And many of us would probably think, Okay, so it's insignificant, and yet uh, I'm making the case this morning that it's actually very, very significant because Jesus, in using it, is drawing a line, is drawing a line back to a theme that is pervasive in the Old Testament. And the word that he uses is the word pasture, and so while it only takes place, or we only see it referenced once in the New Testament, we see it used 59 times across 56 verses in the Old Testament, those books written before Jesus came. Right? So there's a theme that Jesus is attaching himself to, this theme, this idea of pasture. And so I think the question that we should probably ask ourselves then is, what, well, what is it? Right? If, it's a, if it's thematic in the Old Testament, and if Jesus is purposefully re- referencing it now in order to draw us to that image, what is pasture? And I, I, I think it, without going into all of the biblical nuance of the, of the Old Testament, pasture is essentially three things that come together in one place. And those three things are this. Sustenance, safety, safety, and rest. Sustenance, safety, and rest. And where those three things come together, there you find pasture. And so, if in the Bible, pasture is most readily characterized by those three things, I'm going to make this statement. If that is what What characterizes pasture, my contention this morning is that, again, whether we are Christian or not Christian, pasture is something we all want. That That that's a universal desire that for those of us in the room this morning, everybody who's listening right now who has a brain and a head on their shoulders, for all of us, when we think of those three things and there being a place where those three things exist in their fullness, we think, I want that. Now, we may have vastly different ideas as to what's in that place, as to what that place looks like, and as to how those needs are met. But I think we all begin in a position that says, I want sustenance, safety, and rest. Now, what I would argue is something that goes even maybe a little bit beyond that. And that we don't just want sustenance, safety, and rest. We don't just want pasture, but that we, actually, that we actually need it. And that that is why so often there's a level of discomfort with the fact that we don't experience it. That when there is a lack of sustenance, when there is a lack of safety, when there is a lack of rest, that feels unnatural to us. And so it's not just something that that sounds glorious and like something that we would want, but that it's actually something that we need, that it's something in us that we were created to experience and for whatever reason now are hindered from doing so. And what the Bible will tell us about this, or the Bible's worldview, the Bible's answer to this problem, to this issue, which is that we both want and need pasture, but somehow can't seem to find it, is that we were never meant to experience those things or a lack of those things in the first place. That we were created in communion with God and that in communion with God, we experienced sustenance, safety, and rest in their fullness. But that, because of our sin, because of our choosing not to follow God but to follow ourselves, we broke that fellowship and now experience a life that is lacking in those three things. And so we don't experience pasture. Now here's the thing: you might you you might not be a Christian in the room this morning. You may say, "Okay, all that aside, uh, all that aside, I think." that there are things in this world that can provide for me sustenance, safety, and rest. I think I can experience pasture on my own, apart from Jesus. If I have X, Y, or Z, then I will experience those things. And here's here's what I would say, and this is for those of us who are Christians in the room and those of us who are not. It is rare, it is rare that we experience all three of those things simultaneously, right? Right? And that we may get a little bit of rest, but there might not be a whole lot of sustenance. Or we might get some sustenance, but there might not be a whole lot of safety. And so it's rare that we experience all those things simultaneously. And even if we do happen to experience them simultaneously, more often than not, it's in the body and not in the spirit. Jim Carrey would put it this way. I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so that they can see it's not the answer. And so here's Jim Carrey, who I think most of us in the room this morning, unless there's some of you who are extremely rich and famous that I don't know of. Um, So here's Jim Carrey, who admittedly, right, in my own just flesh weighing by the, by the standards of the world, looking at Jim Carrey, I would say he has a level of sustenance, a level of safety, and a level of rest that, that I would envy if that was the place where those three things were found. And yet, Jim Carrey is telling us this morning that, that even with all of those things, he hasn't found pasture even with all of the worldly sustenance you could possibly wish for, even with all of the worldly safety that you could possibly acquire, even with all of the worldly rest that you could enjoy, doesn't, doesn't bring pasture. And so here's my question this morning. If we want pasture, if we need pasture, and if pasture is something that we cannot provide for ourselves, how do we get it? For they know his voice. I am the door, if anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. So here's the thing. If we're and, and this might seem insulting to you this morning if you find yourself or think of yourself sort of highly, but essentially what Jesus is saying is that we are like sheep, and that sheep are fairly incapable of caring for themselves in the long term. And that sheep need a shepherd. That they need a shepherd whose voice they not only hear, but whose voice they know and whose voice they can trust. Because why? Because he goes before them. Because he leads them. Because he guides them in and out to find what? To find pasture. And so it would seem pretty simple at this point, right? Like, okay. We have something we can't provide. There's someone who can lead us there. It's a shepherd. All we need to do is find a shepherd. And yet, there are several who would get in the way of that process. In and in verse 8, it says this, All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. And then verse 12, he who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. And so here's, here's the problem, right? Is that while we're in, in the middle of a bunch of sheep, there. There are shepherds, or there is a shepherd around who would lead us into pasture, who if we know his voice, he will go before us. But surrounding us as well are the voices of those who would steal, kill, and destroy. And so here's what Jesus is saying, what I I think that we can come to understand this morning, that when we experience a lack of sustenance, a lack of safety, a lack of rest, when we experience the lack of pasture, it's because we're listening to the voices of thieves and robbers. It's because we're listening to the voices of the hired hand who only have their best interests in mind. And here's what I would say. I think a lot of times when we think of things that would derail us, that would keep us from hearing the voice of Jesus, right? That, that good shepherd who's, who's trying to lead us out, to lead us into pasture, I think a lot of times we think that maybe those voices of, of thievery, of robbery, of, of the hired hands are sort of out outside of us, right? That there's these, there's, maybe it's advertisements or maybe there's these other things that are sort of calling us like like begging us to sort of essentially switch our our loyalties. And yet I think this morning at least in at least in our particular cultural condition and situation is that while sometimes these people are actually another person, it's more often our own heart, our own idol that is trying to call us away, call us away from all the pasture that God has invited us to experience in Him. And I think it's a theme that we see throughout the Bible, so it's not just exclusive to this generation or to this time, right? It's the same invitation that was given to Adam and to Eve to walk in the, in the garden and in communion with God, and then they were seduced by their own desire to be like God, to have God's power, to have that which was not theirs. And you know what happened? That it stole from them what they were always meant to enjoy. It brought literal death. It killed, and it brought destruction across all of creation. And that was what was meant to be good and to flourish is now characterized by decay and death. And so here's what I mean when I say that, that, it, that it's our own heart, that it's our own idols, it's our own desires that, that are something other than Christ that, that ultimately end up stealing from us, killing us, destroying us. Is that our idols, these things that we desire, these things that we want, promise us a pasture that turns out to only be a mirage. Have you ever seen a mirage? It's always, it's always just few more steps in the distance. There's always just a couple more minutes forward. It's it's always just a little bit further, a little bit more, and then you'll arrive at the place where sustenance, safety, and rest can be had. Our idols are the hired hand, feigning to care for us until times get tough and then abandoning us to destruction. They serve us for a little while, but When it becomes less expedient for their presence to be among you, they they leave. Here's what Jesus is telling us. He's telling us that all of these things that we look at in hopes that we will experience pasture, in hopes that we'll experience good things that we were always meant to experience, sustenance, safety, and rest, that those things are unable to provide for you in that way, so much so that it not only doesn't produce pasture, it actually produces the entire opposite. That instead of experiencing sustenance, you actually experience more hunger and more thirst. That instead of experiencing safety, you actually experience more danger and more fear. That Instead of experiencing rest, you experience more unrest and dismay. And so only a shepherd will do. And not just any shepherd, but this shepherd. Verse 10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. You see, the shepherd, the good shepherd, is the exact antithesis of the thief, the robber, the hired hand. He actually cares about the sheep so much so that he is willing to lay down his life for the sheep. And so instead of stealing, he gives. And so instead of killing, he dies. And so instead of destruction, he protects. And so there is this shepherd. There is this good shepherd. And here's what Jesus says. He says, I am the good shepherd. So what Jesus is saying is is that where all of these things, all of these other things that you're looking to for pasture will only psych you out, will only lead you to a place where you experience a further lack of pasture, I am the good shepherd and I am here to lead you to pasture that place where you will experience sustenance, safety, and rest. And then it says this. I am the good shepherd, I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And here's what's what's really great for us, and that we, we, we have sort of a I think a a privileged place in the chronology, the history of the world, because where the people that are hearing this at the moment have not seen Jesus on the cross, we get to read the rest of the story, and we get to know that Jesus doesn't just say he's the good shepherd, he proves he's the good shepherd when he lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus, the good shepherd, becomes what, what John the Baptist called them in chapter 1, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That our sin, which is what brought the fracture between us and God and removed us from an experience of pasture, Jesus comes and lives the perfect life that we were always meant to live in our place so that we can be invited back into pasture, back into communion with God, back into that place where we find sustenance, safety, and rest. And that's what he means when he said, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Not in an abundance of things, not in an abundance of money, not in an abundance of beauty, not in an abundance of any of the... He's saying in an, in an abundance of me, because in me, there's pasture. I'm, I'm most stricken in that sentence by, by the, word that's, the, the words that aren't there. It says, I have come that they may have life and that they may have it abundantly. And it doesn't say, um, I have come that they may have life and have it more abundantly than before. Or, I have come that they may have life and that they may have it um, somewhat abundantly as they earn it. It just says, I have come that they may have life and that they may have it abundantly. There's no reservation. There's there's nothing that Jesus owns or has that he withholds from the sheep of his flock because he's willing even to lay down his life. That we might experience life abundantly in its fullness, in the fullness of what it means to have life. And what it means to have life is to experience pasture, sustenance, safety, and rest. So Jesus is the good shepherd that leads us to pasture. And how does he lead us there, right? I, mean, we, we've, I think we've progressed fairly logically at this point, and that there's a need, right? There's a want and there's a need and it's one that we can't meet but that, it, but, but that is met in a shepherd, the shepherd that Jesus claims for himself to be and that he wants to lead us to pasture. How does he do that? Well, I think verse 4 and, um, and verse 14 tell us all we need to know. It says, When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them And the sheep know his voice. They follow him. Even in verse 3, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Verse 14, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know Me. So here's the thing, in the midst of all of the voices around us that would call out for our allegiance, in the midst of all of the things that would tempt us to find pasture somewhere other than Jesus, we need to not only hear the voice of Jesus saying it's in me, we need to know the voice of Jesus in the midst of all of the noise. Because here's the thing, every day, every moment of every hour of every day, you've got something calling out to you and saying, pasture is in me. Pasture's in this size paycheck. Pasture's in this kind of house. Pasture's in in this kind of spouse. Pasture is in... On and on and on. And we need to be reminded... We need to be reminded that pasture is in Him, that life abundant is in Him, that when we know that Jesus is the Son of God, that we experience then life in His name, and that is a life characterized by sustenance, safety, and rest. Because when we don't, when we don't hear His voice, and when we don't heed His voice, and we don't listen to His voice, we end up getting robbed, we end up getting killed, and we ultimately end up getting destroyed. But here's what we can't forget in all of this as we, as we sort of come to a close. At this point, I think maybe it, there, there's a temptation for us to, to look at Christianity or following Jesus as something that we, we, we do because of what we can get from Jesus. Right? Okay, so if I just if I just follow Jesus, sustenance, safety, and rest are mine. That's all I've got to do. Just that's it. And yet we don't follow Jesus because of what he can give to us. We follow Jesus because of who he is. And here's here's what I mean by that. There is a sense in which Jesus is not only the shepherd, but he is also the pastor. In that life abundant is only possible in Him. That pasture ceases to become pasture when Jesus is removed from the equation. That when Jesus the shepherd leaves, there is no pasture. There is no more guarantee of sustenance, safety, or rest. That it's, that it's in Him and in knowing Him that we experience those three things in the fullness of their measure. The moment we don't have Jesus is the moment that pasture ceases to become pasture. And here's what I mean. Jesus is the pasture by which we are sustained. So even if we go physically hungry and thirsty, our souls find sustenance in knowing that our greatest hunger is already met, which is hunger for relationship with God. Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness' sake. They will find God. Their desire for sustenance will be met. Jesus is the pasture in which we find defense from the wolves outside so that we are safe. So even if we are verbally or physically attacked, our souls find safety in knowing that the wolves have already met their end at the hands of the shepherd. Jesus will fight for us, and though our bodies may perish, our souls will not. This is why the Bible tells us to not fear those who can kill the body. Hebrews asks that great question, what can man do to me? And Jesus is the pasture in which we find rest. So even if we are busy, our souls find rest in knowing that our identity is not wrapped up in what we do, but is instead wrapped up in who we belong to. We are the sheep of his flock. And I think maybe the most mind-blowing verse in this entire portion of Scripture right here is one that we've already read multiple times, but it's in verse 14 and 15. It says this, I am the good shepherd, I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. So here's the reality for you this morning if you're a Christian, right? If you believe that Jesus is who he says he is, that he has done what he has said he has done, then you know and are known by Jesus as intimately as Jesus knows and is known by the Father. I just let that sink in for a minute. If you're a Christian in the room this morning, you know and are known by Jesus as intimately as Jesus knows and is known by God the Father. And that's where we find sustenance, safety, and rest. Because here's the thing, for every hidden crevice, that maybe the other people in this room haven't seen, that maybe the people in your life have yet to see, that maybe you think God hasn't seen. He has seen, and He not only knows about them, but, but, but has welcomed you into His flock in spite of them. And so you have sustenance in that relationship with God is not dependent on what you can do or manufacture for Him, but rather out of the, the multiplicity of His grace. You find safety because you can be who you are and know that it doesn't ultimately matter in the end because he's not looking at you based on your record, but he's looking at you based on Christ, which is perfect. And you find rest because you recognize that you no longer have to labor to manufacture a holiness that ultimately will not be acceptable to God unless it is from Jesus himself. And so pasture It's not just something that Jesus leads us to. It's something that Jesus is. And then verse 16 says this, and this is where I want to conclude. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. This is what, what Jesus tells us, there's, right? There's an, there's an exclusive nature to what Jesus is about to say. He says there's one flock, there's one shepherd. Anybody else, any other thing is a thief a robber, right? If we go back to, to verse 1, right? There is one flock, there is one shepherd, and yet I have other sheep that are not of this fold, and I must bring them. And so here's our reality sojourn. Okay, we're, we're a, a, a small neighborhood expression of, of the local church, the sheep of Jesus' pasture. And what Jesus would say to you this morning, and what Jesus would say to us, is that he has other sheep that are not of this fold, and that he must bring them also and the way that he's going to do it is going to be the same way that he brought you through his voice. For this one flock, there is true true pasture under this one shepherd and it is the eternal reality of every man, woman, and child who believes in Jesus as the Son of God. So to ha- if, if to have pasture is to experience life in Jesus' name, then it is the joy of the Christian to experience pasture, but it is also the duty of the Christian to extend and invite others to partake of that same pasture. We get pasture by listening to the voice of the shepherd. And here's what's, what's amazing and, and why I pray every week that we don't lose the significance and that we always grow in the understanding of what it means to gather together as the people of God. Is that if we get pasture by listening to the voice of the shepherd, the voice of the shepherd resounds in the world through the gospel message as it is both demonstrated and declared by his people. Right, that's 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20, right? What does it say? Let me turn there uh, really quickly. Um, therefore, we, right, talking, Paul talking about the church, therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, making his appeal through us. The voice of the shepherd rings throughout the world as the gospel message is both demonstrated and declared by the people of God. So when we gather together on Sundays and we sing songs, it's not just because we sing well, which is certainly not the case for me, but it's because we are both declaring and demonstrating a gospel reality, which is that there is pasture to be found, there is sustenance, safety, and rest at the feet of Jesus, at the table of Jesus, in the word of Jesus. And when we gather together as neighborhood parishes throughout the week, it's not because we share an affinity or an age bracket or an income level. We gather together because, as we love one another, as we come to the word of Jesus, we find sustenance, safety, and rest together. We experience pasture together, and as we do that, we we raise up the banner of Jesus' grace, so that the neighborhood that we live in, those those who surround us might see and know that there is pasture to be found in Christ. And so my hope, my prayer for sojourn is that we would both experience pasture and that we would extend pasture to others in the name of Jesus, for the glory of Jesus, and for the great joy of his people. And so let's pray to that end. Lord, you are our shepherd. We shall not want. You make us lay down in green pastures and you lead us beside still waters. You restore our souls. You lead us in the paths of righteousness for your name's sake. And even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we will fear no evil, for you are with us. Your rod and your staff, they comfort us. You prepare a table for us in the presence of our enemies, and you anoint our heads with oil. Our cups overflow. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow us all the days of our lives, and we shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Grant us this pasture, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.